All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm here today with Wendy Covey. Wendy is a CEO, technical marketing leader, author of Content Marketing Engineered, one of the Wall Street Journal's 10 most innovative entrepreneurs in America, and she holds a Texas fishing record. (laughs) Over the past 24 years, Wendy and her team at True Marketing have helped hundreds of highly technical companies build trust and fill their pipelines through inbound marketing. Wendy, welcome to the show. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. First off, share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to doing what you're doing at True Marketing. I tell you, it's not an easy marketing gig working with engineers and technical buyers. Sometimes I think I'm crazy. That I started my career at a company called National Instruments, now known as NI. And they manufacture hardware and software products for manufacturing. And during that time, I held lots of different positions within the organization from marketing communications to product marketing. And then after a while, a colleague of mine and I decided to leave in Ein and put up our own shingle and start our agency. And we did so because we saw a big need amongst the smaller companies, so say small to mid-sized companies that were working within the NI ecosystem. And at the time they didn't have websites or they had websites, but they were really pitiful. They had very shallow in content. They weren't doing well in search and they didn't have a differentiated story about what they offered. And so knowing what we did from our time in marketing, We knew that we could help these companies. And so that was the beginning. And that was back in 2008. And we all know what happened around 2009, which wasn't a pretty economic time. (laughs) And so for us as an agency going from, okay, we'll work with whoever. We know engineers, but we'll work with whoever to, okay, we need to get serious about who we are as an agency. And so it was around that time that we decided, you know what, we're going to only work with engineering companies or companies targeting highly technical buyers, something we know inside and out. And once we narrowed that focus, that's when our agency really took off. And you mentioned that Wall Street Journal award, and that was based on really that business strategy of saying no in order to grow our business. So When it comes to marketing, because marketing and manufacturing or marketing and engineering aren't generally two words that you find in the same sentence. So why do you find that's such a something critical for these types of companies to to do? Yeah. And it's a funny thing, right? Because oftentimes these manufacturing companies are doing cutting edge things, right? They're solving problems in new and unique ways. But yet when it comes to marketing, they can be woefully behind in their adoption of new technology and new strategies. And so when it comes to marketing and manufacturing, boy, if you think about these buyers, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the technical buyer. They have a very serious problem they're trying to solve and they need lots of education. They might be innovating, solving something that's never been done before. And so when they go out to education, where do you think they go? They go to Google, right? They do searches and they're trying to find information from trusted sources. 
And so that's naturally what marketing should be doing is creating content on behalf of that company in order to help that engineer, that technical buyer find answers, build trust, and start to build credibility so they can be on that short list. We believe strongly that this methodology, this content-driven marketing approach is perfect for the technical buyer. And from a customer standpoint, marketing is of course fantastic because you have to get your product knowledge and the cutting edge technology that you're doing. But marketing is also really important from a workforce basis because with today's labor shortage, you and I talked earlier about how critical marketing is to not only sell the products, but to bring in the right people. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Oftentimes we'll work with companies on their brand messaging and that gets into what, how do they position themselves? What is it that they use to define their culture, their core values? And that shouldn't just be focused on attracting new buyers. It should also be how we live and breathe as a company, how we want our staff to engage with each other, with our customers, and who we want to attract as new employees coming in. And so there's a lot of different stakeholders that should be considered when creating that message. And then it doesn't stop there. You can create wonderful words, but if you're not living and breathing those words within your operations and how you act as a culture, they really fall flat. So it takes, it, it might be great for marketing to come in and do lead a messaging exercise and create this wonderful messaging and put it on the website. But it really takes the full organization to adopt that messaging and live and breathe it over time. Yeah. There's so many instances of that when a company will hire a consulting firm or marketing firm to come in with something that they think is going to look good chiseled on the wall but every time the employees walk by, they're like, <laughs> yeah. So how do you really get that buy-in with employees so that they know down to the core of their being that the words that are on the wall are is the company that they are working for or represents yeah. the company they're working for? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, it may start at the executive level where you have a, a team. Think of it as a branding committee, right? You have your executive sponsor, you have HR at the table, you have marketing at the table, maybe sales as well. And that message, those core values, all those things are crafted. But then how does that translate into downstream operations? So a great example is if one of your core values is honesty or trustworthiness, then maybe that should be in a performance review, right? Maybe those core values should be reflected in those conversations that managers have every year, every six months with an employee to check in on how things are going. So now it just became not just a sign on the wall or something nice on a website, but something that we expect our employees to live up to. Well, and also when it comes to recruiting employees. What are some of the methods that you found that some of your clients are using to use that marketing method and getting the word out as far as their culture and what they've built and why these employees would want to join their organization versus some competitor down the street? I find a lot of manufacturing companies 
I don't really have a good definition around their culture. So one is, it is just looking inward and trying to put the words around what their culture is. So for example, with True Marketing, we call the way we work laid back excellence. We want to be approachable. We, we want to have this Austin style of we're laid back. We're not very formal, but when it comes to details, those matter and excellence matters. And so when we go to recruit someone, we explain laid back excellence and that's either going to appeal to someone or maybe repel someone else. And that's actually a good thing because we want someone that fits in our culture and, and, and is not uncomfortable there. And I think that's no different than manufacturing companies, whether it's at a job fair or on your website, just trying to put those words around what culture means for that company. So what do you think are some of the largest mistakes that people are making when it comes to their marketing? Wow. There's lots out there. I would say the first is it is having a very outdated website and Google changes their algorithms every few years and they punish you. It's very punishing if you don't keep up with the latest technical trends of your website. So that's one end of it, making sure your website's secure, for example, it loads quickly. Those are all sort of table stakes. But then the other side of it is having accurate, up-to-date information about what you offer, how your company operates, and speaking about things using a buyer's language and or a recruiting person's language instead of your own internal language. So think, if I'm just promoting my products and using lots of acronyms, that's not very friendly language compared to speaking to a buyer in their terms and helping offer content along each stage of the buyer's journey. So it's that combination of fresh content that's thoughtful towards the buyer or the recruit, whoever that person you're writing for is, combined with a website house that actually functions like it should. Yeah, and so often I know that there's a difference between really the written word and the spoken word. And so doing some kind of combination where you are speaking into some kind of dictation so it comes out, like you said, that relaxed, casual type of language where it's very conversational versus sounding like a fifth grade English teacher wrote it. That's great you bring that up. And usually during a brand positioning and messaging project, we talk about tone and voice. And you'd be surprised. Not every company would, would agree with the statement that you should be conversational and approachable. There really are different styles and it goes back to that culture. One might be, we want to be informative and have a commanding voice. And the next one might be, I'll give you an example, Vertec, who's a control system integration company, they call themselves control freaks, right? And that's very casual language compared to some of their peers in the industry. So it all is that mashup of how your tone and voice and your culture fit together. That would also be representative of who you're attracting because for, if, especially in an engineering, I think of that as more like detail oriented and more formal and maybe in another type of a small manufacturer where you're looking for somebody who's that good cultural fit to just really consider, like you said, who the audience is and gearing the language towards that. So you could see where some companies 
jump into content development without first taking a step back to say, what tone do we have? What voice? What are key messages that, what does our company stand for? And what are those key phrases and messages that should be woven in downstream to every case study, every white paper, every page on the website? Top down is really very important when putting together a content strategy. And what about from the recruiting standpoint. We talked to make sure that you don't have an old website so that Google doesn't punish you. But what about things like photos of your current employees or videos of what a day in the life looks like or those type of things to really attract people to your organization? What are some of the things that, that manufacturers can get started with or at least keep an eye out for when they're going through their website and deciding what to do? I love that you jumped to a really good assumption, which is we should tell those stories of those employees. And I think there are some companies that are afraid to do that. They're afraid to give employees the autonomy or the independent voice that's not controlled or they're afraid that they'll be poached if that employee is out there on too many things. But that's really an outdated uh, and antiquated view of things. So these days, recruits and prospective customers alike expect to look at those LinkedIn profiles and see stories about employees and understand what they're doing. And again, it builds credibility for that recruit thinking about working at the company and in some authenticity of what's actually really happening firsthand from that employee. But it also helps think for a prospective customer. Are they real? Are they the real deal? And, you know, who are, are they, do they have technical experts who have their own voices and are there sales people, authentic technical people that I can trust to help advise me through this purchase. So there's all kinds of reasons to get those employees involved. And then as for the tools, I know Lisa, you and I talked earlier about go to where that person is. And that that can be a little challenging. On the marketing side, when we're trying to attract new customers, we actually publish an annual survey. It's called State of Marketing to Engineers. And we do this alongside Global Spec. It's a partner. And every year we study how engineers seek and consume information to make purchase decisions. And in the report, we ask, where do you go? Do you use social media? What do you rely on the most? Do you watch video? Do you watch podcasts? And so that's a great resource to get a pulse on, on the engineer side. And as far as the recruits, you're seeing more social media utilized by companies to tell their culture story. And so while engineers, when looking to make a purchase, aren't necessarily going to places like Facebook or Instagram, they may be going there in their personal lives. And when they come across culture posts that might be more attractive or more engaging to them using that side of the brain, like the recruiting, I want to work for them. It's a personal side versus I'm researching an RF product to put into this thing I'm designing. And it also, you made such an interesting point with the information being out there. For recruiters, it's really easy for them to just go to LinkedIn and see where that potential candidate's working and start wooing them. But if they're boss, if their company was posting them for Joe's the employee of the month or Marianne just won this fantastic award and they're giving their people kudos almost to the point of they are the face of that organization, it certainly makes it much more difficult for them to leave versus that here's the LinkedIn profile of this person. So we talked earlier about being afraid of poaching people, but actually by promoting them more 
more and their role within your organization, it seems that would be cementing their relationship even stronger. Absolutely agree. So what are some of the other things that you are seeing that are working in manufacturing? Again, if somebody is listening to the show today and just looking to pick up some marketing tips to get started, what are some of the best things that they can do? Yeah. Our research shows that 96% of engineers watch video for work every single week. 96%. But yet manufacturing companies feel intimidated by video. And I, I get why. So when Sometimes when we think of video, we think of that very polished corporate overview that an expensive production company comes in and does. But that's not really what they're seeking necessarily. A lot of it is how-to information. It's videos that show a demo of a product. And so those can be done on the cheap. As long as your lighting good, lighting is good and your sound is good, you can use a very basic setup. You can also use webinar technology to do on-demand software demos, things like that. That's one big tip is if you've been putting off video, this needs to be your video year. And then we're on a podcast right now and podcasts have jumped hugely in popularity this past year. 73% of engineers listen to podcasts for work every week. And that was up from, I want to say 40 something a year ago. So I think the adoption is for a few reasons. I think <laughs> there's more shows out there than there used to be. And you have more opportunity to find something that matches your need. That's a good thing. And then also might be that we were craving some more of that spoken word type of, of material during COVID and coming out to sheltering in place. It was one of those where we can't go to an event, but I still want a personal connection. So videos, podcasts, maybe that speaks to some of the spike. Things. And it's funny because I think about my podcast and how, of course, it was a COVID inspired podcast to come out because I fought it for years because I was so intimidated by it. And I'm sure that lots of people listening to the show are thinking that it's going to take a whole lot of time and money. We're recording this on Zoom. We're stripping out the audio and I'm going to upload it to my podcast site after being edited. And it's simple, but those, and, and I'm not concerned about the downloads because it's not that. It's the information. It's meeting new people. It's having conversations. So what you just said about inviting companies to consider, maybe it's a once a month or once every couple of weeks or even once a week podcast where you're talking to different people in your organization or interviewing your customers, interviewing your vendors. There can be so much that goes on that we don't have to worry because yeah, it's one of those things you get struck by lightning where you get the millions and millions of downloads because there's so many shows out there. If you just think about how you can have some fun with it, get the word out and hopefully attract some people that like what you have to say, that's what a podcast is all about. Yeah. And it brings a voice and a personality to your brand. And as does video, that's harder to do on that flat page, right? I will say on the podcast front, what we recommend our clients do is start with being on other people's podcasts to develop yep. who is that spokesperson, who's going to be the face of that initiative. And then when starting your own podcast, if it's technical in nature, some of our clients have been running into some challenges with bringing on guests 
whose companies allow them to come on and mm. talk about their projects. So it's no different than when you ask permission for a case study and legal blocks it because of IP issues or whatever. Sometimes podcasts can run into the same issue. So there's definitely some strategy things to think about depending on the subject matter. But like you said, there's a lot of benefits to doing it. So I'm with you. I have a I'll second that encouraging voice. And I also think that the podcast isn't necessarily the venue for talking a lot of straight technical because that's better in the written word where you can go through and take your marker and underline and everything, but really conveying the personality of the company and the passion. I mean, that's why I like talking to manufacturers because I love being around passionate people who make things and being able to convey that excitement as we really start to change the conversation into the younger parent, into the younger generations and more so into their parents and guidance counselors and stuff to welcome and introduce more people into manufacturing and podcasting would be a great way to do so because it's so accessible these days. Absolutely. All about having that strategy and goal and then making sure your editorial calendar supports it. That's great. So if you think of all the things, all the ways that you help manufacturers with their marketing, again, if somebody was listening today, what would be your number one tip for them to get started if they're starting from if they're starting from ground zero and if they already have some marketing that's like just okay? Okay. All right. So starting from ground zero really understanding who you are as a company and putting that into words, right? So we call that brand positioning and messaging. If you're just starting out, the most important thing to do is understand who you are as a company and how to articulate that. And that is through brand positioning and messaging. And it's that elevator pitch and your long narrative. And what are your pillars of differentiation, which I know sounds very formal. How are you different than everyone else? Why are you the place that someone should turn to for whatever it is that their need is. Part of that is defining your audience personas. So who is it that you're looking to attract? What are their pain points? And making sure you really understand them, right? Because to do messaging within a bubble and make all these assumptions is a really poor way to go about doing things. So get out, talk to people, and then put together that messaging. And then, of course, publish it on your website and do all the other table stake marketing stuff. So that's just starting out. And then for a company who is stagnating, really look to your content. So are you writing the right content? Do you have those buyer personas identified? Do you maybe need to go re dust those off and renew them? But making sure that you have the right content across the buyer's journey. So if you're providing a product or service, what are they going to search first to find you? What do they need to read to quickly understand the solutions that you offer? And then where do you go from there? How do you build credibility? How are you going to land on their short list? And then what types of things do you need to do to stay top of mind during what is normally a very long sales cycle? So it's mapping your marketing content and activities along this long buyer's journey. All right. If somebody would want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you and where can they find you? 
All right. You can find me on LinkedIn. So it's Wendy Covey. And then my company is True Marketing and it's spelled T-R-E-W Marketing. And then I have a book and podcast by the same name. It's Content Marketing Engineered. You can find the podcast on the True Marketing website or on any of those podcasts, broadcast platforms like Spotify and Apple. And then the book is up on- Wendy, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.